1: Today's program has been brought
2: to you by White Oak Pastures, a five-generation Georgia-based beef and poultry farm determined to
0: conduct business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com.
3: Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit
0: heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
3: Good afternoon and welcome. Uh, This is What Doesn't Kill You? Food Industry Insights with me, your host, Katie Kiefer. Um, I'm going to be talking today with uh, some of my homies from Chefs Collaborative. The uh, big Chefs Collaborative Summit, their annual summit, is coming up in Boulder in just a couple of weeks. And uh, to that end, I thought it might be a good idea to uh, chat a little bit about the group and um, what directions they're going in in coming weeks, months, and years. They have a bit of new leadership team going on. So um, we'll be welcoming to the program today Alicia Fowler. She is is the program director for Chefs Collaborative. Previously, she helped to create and grow the Alliance for Climate Education, which is now educating over one million high school students about climate science and solutions. Can't have too much of that. And uh, our other guest is Michael Levitin, uh, a chef and chairman of the board for Chefs Collaborative, as well as being the chef owner for Lumiere excuse me and the chef partner for area four in Boston Massachusetts he's a seven-time James beard foundation award nominee and recipient of national awards from food and wine bon Appetit gourmet and sever he's been the chair for chef's collaborative since 2010 welcome to both of you I'm excited to chat about the group it's an organization that's been around for quite a long time um, but it seems to be kind of growing in prominence um, so why don't you guys give us a little bit of a history of the chef's collaborative and tell Tell us uh, more about the uh, focus for the uh, 2014 Summit.
1: Certainly. The, uh, the quick history is that uh, the collaborative was founded in uh, 1993 on a, uh, on a beach in Hawaii by um, <laughs> nice. um, uh, a, a, re- a group of r- really just incredibly visionary chefs um, at an Old Ways uh, Summit um, ah. uh, it, called Food Choices 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the topic of conversation then was the, the emerging role of chefs and the understanding that um, we could help educate the guests in the larger community um, about foods and uh, farming and uh, cooking that is, is better for the planet, better for our health, better for society.
3: Amazing. You guys really were visionaries because in 1993, I mean, I've been in the food business my entire life, and I don't really remember 1993 as being any kind of a major year for like, oh, my God, suddenly right. the light bulb went off. I mean, you know, like it just wasn't really on the radar so much, Right.
1: No, and even, you know, uh, I, I moved to California in, and started cooking there in 1988, and, you know, even though some of this stuff was going on, sustainability just wasn't even a part of the lexicon, Yeah. you know. Um, and to think about how far we've come over the past 20-plus uh, years and really just even, even how much has happened in the past five is is truly remarkable. And, yeah. it, you know, put in that perspective what... Um, those folks on the beach 20 years ago were, were thinking about and talking about was incredibly visionary.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, just to kind of uh, put it into a context, so I'm thinking like uh, when Shea Panisse opened, that's about 28 years ago now?
1: Uh, so Alice yeah, was 20, kind of yes. the go-weather for, for, and then Jeremiah mid, Tower? 70s yeah.
3: Yeah, something like so yeah, so that's kinda of when that those ideas started uh, bubbling up into at least public consciousness, sort of. And and she was really seen as kind of an outlier and then right. obviously this uh this group was formed. And some of the earliest members were people like Peter Hoffman, right?
1: Yeah, Peter else Hoffman was? uh John Ash, Rick Bayliss, Joyce Goldstein, right. uh Susan Feniger, Nobu, uh Matsuhisa. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, a it was really a, a very impressive group. Very. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, a lot of those folks are, are still in some ways involved uh, even now. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, which is fabulous.
3: Yeah, no, it's great. I loved it. I went I didn't really know much about Chef's Collaborative, although I have occasionally interviewed people for magazine articles and stuff. Um, But I went to the summit last year and I met amazing people, heard some great speakers. And it was just like the whole thing was so impressive. I was just, you know, delighted by it. So um, um, tell us a little bit about what your focus is for the 2014 summit, because that's. That's kind of a new direction for you guys. It's all about scale and moving mountains, right? Right. And,
1: you know, yeah, exactly. The 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 the, summit, the the theme really is moving mountains and scaling change. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, for many years, uh, the organization, you know, because of who was interested in these things, was you know populated by um, chefs like myself with mm-hmm. you know small restaurants, chef-owned restaurants, and really wasn't wasn't really thinking real big, right. um, but the more, the more that I've been involved and the more that we've seen change over the past decade, mm-hmm. um, scale is clearly uh, occurring and needs to be occurring more. Right. You know? And now for, for us as an organization, you know, we keep coming back to the idea of, of thinking big and acting big and uh, having a really big impact. Um you know it's it's all well and good if you know you know uh chefs like myself who who don't feed a ton of people right. um you know if we have an impact that's great but um we need it to have a much larger societal impact and that's where the idea of scale really comes into into play.
3: Um who is going to be speaking at this event and, uh, and um, what what was your your reason for selecting some of them?
1: Well, yeah, again, you know, Are people in, in talking about in indes- the idea of scale, yeah, you know, we've got Mel Coleman from uh, from Nyman Ranch, right? Uh, Hugo Matheson from the Kitchen and the Kitchen Communities, um, mm-hmm. Mo Siegel of uh, Celestial Seasonings. Um, oh wow! We've got Ari Weisenberg from Zingerman's, Nate Appelman from Chipotle, right? I mean, we've just got we've um, excuse me, Mary Sue uh, Milliken. Milliken from the mm-hmm. Board of Grill. We've just got yeah. this incredible group of people who. Um, are used to dealing at a scale that perhaps uh, sustainability hasn't really been talked about uh, so much in the past.
3: Well, I think yeah, exactly. I mean, that's why I was really excited about um this about your focus this year and also being part of that because um in the course of the last 5 years that I've been doing this radio program, um what I see are the difficulties uh, th- that create a problem in scaling this up is is really has to do with infrastructure, um with, you know, production facilities, with aggregation and distribution and and right. you know, like all of that stuff has had I think um has sort of lagged behind. Um, the uh, the both the chef's perception of what the food system should be and also what consumers are increasingly beginning to demand. So I, I think it's great that you guys are talking about scale on the restaurant level and and bringing in partners
1: who are right. Well, you know, and you, it, know you know, doing it. sustainable choices depending on per upon where you are on the proverbial food chain from mm-hmm. you know small chef on restaurant all the way up to um, you know uh, organizations like you know Compass or Sedexo. Right. Um, you know the 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 sourcing challenges are different from where you know where you are on that chain. That's right. Um, And as he's pointed out, there are also a lot of logistical challenges there as well. Um, The collaborative, collaborative, to me, is really fascinating because we're uniquely positioned, um, you know, looking backwards and forwards, um, both to uh, forward-facing to consumers and backward-facing to producers. Um, and we're sort mm-hmm. of that midpoint, and, you know, what we're in many ways really trying to do is to help create this perfect storm of supply and demand, Right. Um, because frankly, without that economic, uh, it, without that working economically, sustainability is just not going to happen.
3: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's not sustainable if it isn't economically sustainable. I remember somebody saying that to me like five years ago. And I was
1: right. Like, yeah. You know, I, I like absolutely. to joke that the first rule of running a sustainable restaurant is keep your doors open. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so true, Michael. So yeah, tell us, un- who- yes,
1: yeah, true, but un- unfortunate in some ways. Well, um, it, yeah. it, it necessarily involves more compromise than sometimes I'm willing to uh, to uh, to do.
3: Yeah, I'm sure it involves a ton of compromise. I mean, you can't. Uh, you know, especially if you have a restaurant that is beholden to other investors and so forth. I mean, it's it's kind of a collective decision on where your budget is, I'm sure. I mean, I've never run a restaurant, only worked in a few of them, so I don't really know the deal. But um, I bet there's a lot of give and take back and forth about who you're going to buy from, what kind of price point you can go to before, you know, the whole thing sort of collapses. Like, you know,
1: the other thing that I speak about a lot is the idea that, you know, my look, our daily purchasing decisions sort of no matter where. You are on this food chain mm-hmm. um, involve a, a, a very complex multi multi-variable calculus, yes. and those variables shift day to day. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and okay. so it's it's really uh, it's it's a challenge, but it's a fun one most of the time.
3: I hope so. Well, you wouldn't be still in the business. You've been doing this a long time, right? Yes. Um. So tell us a little bit of who the uh, members are of Chefs Collaborative, because I mean, you mentioned that it's a lot of sort of you know it started with smaller fine dining establishments primarily, um, but do you have a lot of um do you have any uh, membership from say quick service restaurants or institutional oh, buyers? Yeah, we, we are you know, the whole for... spectrum
1: now. Uh huh. So nearly nearly uh-huh. all fifty states. Um, chefs, food business owners, mm-hmm. activists, culinary students, butchers authors right. um yeah we we 've got them all um That's great. and you know farmers ranchers fishermen you know uh and these NAL are all members, all wow. Sorts. Um, our, our, uh, our members at this point mm-hmm.
3: and you guys have been very active in creating programs that raise awareness of certain issues such as you know uh, trying to buy uh, different kinds of seafood in order to take the pressure off of those seafood stocks that may be um, overfished at this point so you call them the trash fish dinners um, right. and then there's another you've done a lot of programs around uh, antibiotics and livestock can you flesh that out a little bit more for us and tell us about any other initiatives uh, Chef's Collaborative has been working on
1: uh, you know, we've been involved with with seafood sourcing, and and for for years, we put out this thing called Seafood Solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, we put out uh, a while back Green Chef's Blue Oceans in conjunction with the Blue Ocean Institute, which was a mm-hmm. training tool. Um, our recent efforts have been around, as you said, trash fish, or the so-called underutilized species. Right, you know, I realize that. I like trash that name is, better. You know, it's a bit of a marketing term, um, admittedly, but um, it does help to grabs grab people's attention and you know, make us aware uh, in each sort of geographical region um, of all the different sort of uh, food, uh, seafood sourcing challenges. Uh, in those areas,
3: right? Sure. I, I have to say that as a marketing tool, trash fish. I can understand how it's an attention getter. At the same time, I don't think it really does justice. I, I prefer to see another name like unloved
1: fish. Or... Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, you know, or it, it, it's tough though because you know, yeah. unloved fish doesn't quite have the same uh, no. same grab. Yeah. Um, no. I, but, but I, I know, think the, that's the we idea really work is to <laughs> um, find ways to be instead of targeting. Um, you know the the you know sort of the the, the favorites, yeah. right? Which which um, worked for a while, but now has become has left us in a very precarious position, especially here in New England. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to be rethinking how we. How we cook and what we cook, you know, and we need to be looking at what's out there now, and and cooking those those seafoods,
3: and encouraging Uh, fishermen to want to to fish for that, right? And And learn how to use bycatches. That brings it back to you know the
1: creation of markets, right? So you know, here in New England, we have the uh, you know an issue with the spiny dogfish. Yes, there's an awful lot of them. Yep. um, And it would be great if we could get people to eat them. Um, But one, it's making people aware of it, teaching them how to cook it, how to make it delicious. Um, two, there's a uh, processing issue, um, so that we need to get that attendant industry um, up and running. And then we've yes. got to make it viable for the fishermen to go out there and actually harvest these things.
3: Right. What about stuff like sea robin? I know that's one fish that's, um, that was considered a trash fish that's starting to make its way onto New England menus. Are you seeing more of that, or um, not so yeah, much? Yeah, you know,
1: even something like sea robin brings up some, some different issues. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're a tiny fish. Yeah. Delicious, you know, firm uh, firm uh, flesh and, and really nice textured, um, but you're talking about maybe two ounces of meat from oh, exactly. a fish that's a little dangerous to, to fillet. You know, I would never advocate a home cook doing it because um, there are some spines on there that are potentially uh, problematic.
3: Wow, no kidding. I had yeah, no idea, same
1: Michael. Thing with, uh, although, there's there's a lot of processing around um, Acadian redfish
0: uh-huh.
1: um, or ocean perch, depending on you know which name you like that's to use. That's what I'm familiar with. Um, yeah. But again, that's one that you wouldn't necessarily want the home cook Doing, but that's available now, um, uh-huh. and uh, the stocks are, are seemingly in, in good supply. Right. You know, one of the issues here is that these are stocks that we don't have data on um, because nobody was really using them. So that mm-hmm. no, why would you collect the data on them? Right. And so this is one of the things load. that we've been advocating for in a number of different arenas. But you know, we really need to be looking at. The whole of the ecosystem, and mm-hmm. trying to gather more information, and then taking an ecosystems management approach to to how we um, harvest stocks within that yep. particular ecosystem.
3: Yeah, fascinating. So really, it's 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 a, it's such an education process because it's not just uh, chefs, at, it's not just consumers, but it's also your chef constituency, and then you have to work with fishermen to ensure that they understand what your needs are, and then as you just said, the processing. It's right. like if fish houses are not prepared to process this, how do you encourage them and incentivize them to do it? How can you command enough volume to make it worth their while to retrain their people, right? Exactly. I mean It sounds like that's what the issue
1: is. Right. So this seemingly very simple, right. simple idea um, right. becomes fraught with nuance um, yep. in terms of actually uh, affecting some, some, whole, uh, some big change.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in other words, no, no, there is no such thing as a small change. <laughs> uh, there,
1: no, there's, that's there's essentially what it small is, right? Change. I think there's there's no such thing as an easy solution.
3: Yeah, right. More that's more to the point. How do your how has your uh, chef constituency responded to um, say working with different kinds of seafood and and encouraging their uh, local processors and fishermen to maybe uh, bring aboard you know something different than the usual?
1: Um, you know, I can't speak to the. Excuse me, the the, the whole of our, the community, but we're sure. definitely seeing more and more of it, um, and especially in the coastal regions. Although we mm-hmm. just did a um, fabulous trash fish dinner in in Denver, yeah. So you know Great. there there's no there's nothing uh, there's no native seafood there. Obviously. So everything's coming from afar. But to the extent that we can get even uh, chefs in a landlocked area to to understand the value of um, you know, sort of eating from the, the or, or cooking from the bottom of the food chain and, right. and uh, employ, uh, using these underutilized species. Right. Um, that's a huge win. Yeah, huge. I and mean, we, even, we even did a trash fish dinner in Vegas. Cool. Yeah. You guys really Sort of are like cool. the least sustainable place on earth. But.
3: Uh, yeah. <laughs> <True. in> <laughs> so Alicia, why don't you pipe in here and tell us a little yeah. bit about uh, how you've, um, you know, been organizing some of the programs, because obviously, this falls into your bailiwick,
2: right? So these True, programs not, that are educating it's exciting chefs. It's to hear from the, the program director side of things, but you know, we've really got this outstanding list of about 40 speakers who are queued up and really span the culinary world. Yeah. And we worked with a committee of our Chefs Collaborative board members and chefs to select speakers who could hit on the core issues we're addressing, including just what you were talking about, scaling sustainable business practices. Right. We have things like hands-on chef skills, like butchering and working with invasive species. We have somebody right. bringing in a wild boar. They're going to butcher it up and roast it. That would be um, um, Adam. so we have really this great element of both tackling these large mountains and then hand-in-hand hand with that, getting chefs into the kitchens across Boulder, not just going to be in some conference hotel. And you're really going to get to pick up your knife, and you're going to work on skills, and folks are going to leave with really tools and a network to help them make changes in their uh, kitchens and in their wow. businesses. that's awesome. Yeah, we really tried to pick people who are best positioned to share powerful narratives yeah. about their journeys mm-hmm. and chefs and food professionals with these hands-on skills they can mm-hmm. pass on to others. Sounds one, great. One person I want to mention that's speaking is the governor of Colorado. He's a former brewmaster. Wow. He calls himself a recovering geologist, and he, <laughs> he's going to share this great story of how he went from brewmaster to the governor of the entire state of Colorado. So he's going to really help us kick, kick things off with this whole theme on well, that's that Sunday, that September 28th. Yeah, that's yeah. really
3: cool. So September 28th. 20- in fact, if yep. anybody wants is interested in, in following this or going to it, uh, it will a little last minute at this point, but it is still, I think, possible to sign up for this. Especially if you're in the Colorado area, you don't need housing or whatever. But I, you know, it seems to me like they have enough. Um, they've got a lot of hotels out there in Boulder, oh, yeah. so yeah, yeah.
2: And flights are actually still really reasonable. They are One very of the reasonable. About this position is it's in the middle of the country, so yeah. we're really well positioned there, and we do still have tickets um, while it is selling. Quite fast, but we do have a lot um, way for people to plug in if they want to come, and all those tickets are just on our website at chefscollaborative.org. org.
3: Are you guys going to be doing an audio visual feed or anything like that, like a TEDx We, we talk look kind We're of thing? looking at
2: it. Um, mm-hmm. We do have a number of videographers and photographers coming, and we're going to repurpose content really quickly. But we're focused on capturing the content and then right, uh, getting and then it out to our it. membership as soon as possible. Right,
3: right. Sounds good. Um, so let me ask you this, and then we're going to take a short break after that. But um When you guys uh, organize, say the campaign for educating chefs about uh, trying to buy livestock that has not been treated with antibiotics prophylactically, uh, which is uh, to say commodity livestock, um, and certainly a, a tremendous price point differential between that and um, and you know animals that are raised in a, in a more humane or sort of more I hate to use the word sustainable. I'm so sick of it. But anyway, in that <laughs> manner of like not, not using prophylactic uh, drugs, um, how do you, you know, how does a restaurant, h- how do you make that kind of scale change? Because that is a scale change, right? I mean, how, how, how can people sort of push their investors or change their purchasing programs? I mean, it seems like it's kind of a big um, thing to tackle unless you are like a chef owner and you can just unilaterally make that kind of decision for yourself. Huh.
1: I, th- um, yeah, that's I think a good that question. there are a number of different ways, uh, you know, yeah. to skin this uh, proverbial cat. Yeah. And that You know, uh, at least to a large extent, you know, the selling of sustainability um, is, is an important part of the process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to the extent that we can subtly and without hitting, you know, without hitting our customers over the head, but educate them into why the products we're serving are. Um, you know, justify the, the increased price point, yeah. mm-hmm. um, why they're better for the environment, better, better for our health, better, mm-hmm. for, uh, better for the, the animals, economy, certainly. you know, better on all those different levels. Mm-hmm. If we can justify that, then um, a lot of people really are willing to, to spend a few extra shackles. That's cool. Very good. Um, you know, but I think also, you know, the, a lot of what we've, got, we've done in the past and will continue to do is about training chefs in ways to, um, you know, if you're using the whole animal um, mm-hmm. you if you can find a way to sell the whole animal, you're certainly going to get a much better deal and you can uh, generate more profit um, uh, for, for your, you know, meat purchasing dollars um, right. than if you're just buying middle meats. Uh,
3: yeah, but then you run into the whole problem of like, I mean, say you're like, I don't know, say you're not a particularly upscale, you're just kind of like a mid-level, you know, not – QSR dining, not quick service restaurant, but you're somewhere in between and you want to buy better. But it's like, there's, isn't there like a tremendous learning curve? And isn't it really hard for um, just sort of the average run of the mill restaurant to sell, uh, you know, uh, sort of unusual cuts to their constituency? I mean, this is the problem that I see, um, like with buying whole animals. First, you have the additional labor cost,
0: right. which has
3: to be passed on. So even though you might have saved money on the meat, you might also be you know, spending more on having somebody cut it up for you. And then the whole issue of, of again, it's it's the same thing as the trash fish of like educating consumers that, you know, uh, a chuck roll or, you know, something like that, or, you know, buy a braised dish instead of uh, steak.
1: Right. No, I you're, mean, you're that's, absolutely right. That is a long and difficult road. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that I, I think that the more that we are able to make folks aware, mm-hmm. um, uh, the more we're able to do this, and I think what we've certainly seen over the past you know decade is that more and more people. This is more and more. This is increasing in importance to more and more people every day. I agree, especially the antibiotics um, issue. So that there yeah. is there is some you know some groundswell of movement, mm-hmm. and um, as that continues, the the delta you know, the cost differential between commodity and properly raised um, will continue to come down.
3: Right, right. Well, we're going to take a short uh, sponsor drop uh, break, so um, we'll be right back in thirty. 30- seconds or so with uh, Michael Levitin and Alicia Fowler from Chef's Collaborative stay tuned we have much much more to talk about
0: you're listening to Lung by Iggy Dean
2: its own USDA-inspected red meat abattoir or slaughterhouse and its own USDA-inspected poultry abattoir or slaughterhouse. We partner with Whole Foods to deliver our high-quality meat and poultry from Miami,
0: Florida, all the way to Princeton, New Jersey. One family, one farm, five generations, 145 years. A full-circle return to sustainable land stewardship and humane animal stockmanship information, please visit our
2: website, whiteoakpastures.com.
3: This is What Doesn't Kill You on the Heritage Radio Network. My name is Katie Kiefer, and uh, we're talking Chef's Collaborative today uh, because the Chef's Collaborative is holding its annual summit in Boulder on September 28th. My guests are the chairman of the board, Michael Leviton, a uh, well-known chef, and Alicia Fowler, the program director for the organization. Um, and guys, I want to go back to this issue of scale since that's what you're all about. And and I just wanted to, um, one of the questions I had in pre- preparing for this is like, is there any way Way that you guys can measure the change in purchasing that some of your members are doing in response to the programs that you offer, such as education about antibiotics and livestock supply or trash fish. And and, and, and are you able to sort of gauge the success or failure of your programs and, and then kind of ha- create some sort of a feedback loop to, both for yourselves and for industry to connect with?
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. We've, we've done this in the past um, where, you know, we gather some questionnaire data mm-hmm. and to, you know, sort of track the changes uh, that people are making and see what sort of impact that's having. Right. Um, and, you know, as I said before, we're, we're sort of in this unique position where, uh, as you pointed out, um, that data can go backwards and forwards. Right. Um, so out to the consumer, and we can see where it's having an effect there, but then also tra- translate that back to uh, the producers and, you know, hopefully influence their decision-making as well.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Well, because my next question was, is how much does your organization engage directly with uh, commodity livestock production or uh, sort of commodity seafood um, producers? I know much less about the seafood industry or dairy, but but I know that there are, you know, big entities that control large volumes of these products um, that uh, typical restaurants um, tend to be, you know, their customers. And And how much can you... Can you guys actually talk to these guys or do you actually talk to these guys to say, hey, look, you know, we're, we're going to buy more. Like, for instance, with Chipotle having its difficulties in, in sourcing uh, uh, antibiotic-free beef last year, um, you know, it's a question about how much leverage they can put onto those uh, commodity beef organizations to maybe change some of their programs. And I'm wondering how much you guys engage to do that, you know, to, to funnel that information along to them.
1: Yeah, I would say that you know we're we're not really dire- engaging with with um, Big Ag directly. Why not? Uh, um, I I think that we've um, I think probably uh, on both ends you know um, we have been reticent to to reach out to them mm-hmm. and seen you know not seen um, and I think that they you know are not necessarily. Um, interested in dealing with us at this point. Although, you know, hopefully, as we begin to scale up, um, we can affect that change and we can begin to have those those dialogues. I yeah, mean, right I, now we're, I think we're you guys are working a lot. But you're seeing a lot more now with, you know, folks like the Nyman Ranch, um, who we've been um, working with for quite a while. Right, and who are a um, big sponsor. There are a sponsor, lot more right. um, never had it, never will programs now, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of, uh, um, you know, even one of the big comp- poor companies now is launching their own sort of. Heritage or naturally raised yeah. line. You're seeing everybody get into the sphere now. Well, Purdue um, has
3: just announced that they're no longer going to feed uh, the antibiotics right. that go into the human medicine system uh, to their poultry flocks. Which uh, you know you can see that as a tremendous victory, right. or you can see it as a bit of a whitewash in a certain level. I'm a cynic. Um, I see it as like, well, I'm still going to use antibiotics, but
1: yeah, uh, but even but know. look, but, but that's even that, huge now, now. And you're right, and 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 I wouldn't disagree with that. But I also think that we need to you know, look, let's look at it in, in some ways for what it is. And that, look, now they're sensitive to the issue,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And, yeah. the, the tip, you know, we've in some ways begun to achieve that tipping point. If we can continue to push things in the direction that we have, um, perhaps in five years it's, it's an announcement that they're, they're not going to be using antibiotics prophylactically, period.
3: Right, right. And right. that obviously and so, is the goal. You know, so. this, is,
1: this is all about baby steps, right? Yeah. We're not going to change the system overnight. No, that, definitely that that's not. That's completely unrealistic. Um, but the hope is, you know, by making uh, little bits of progress every day, um, we can affect some some major, major change. It's really going to be better for
3: For everyone, for including us, the yeah. producers
2: and including and the community th- business. One thing I want to add there really quick is that, you know, the Summit, the Sustainable Food Summit, is such a great venue for us to have those dialogues, and the more we're able to – engage more directly with folks and have people there to have those hard conversations, talk about their trials and tribulations with scale and with making progress and hear what everyone's thinking. I mean, it's such a natural venue for us to be able to engage directly with our strong partners and allies and then also grow these new relationships that will be really critical for for making those baby steps into a lot more.
3: Right. I mean, I would encourage the group actually to engage more uh, directly with, um, you know, with some of the trade organizations uh, that are running our livestock supply, et cetera, just because, I will tell you from my own personal experience, and I've spent quite a bit of time um, interviewing these people and going to their conferences, they really, truly live in a silo. They honestly don't have much sense of what the food industry is actually doing, because they're so busy uh, providing their own feedback loop to themselves of how great they are and how people like you guys are out to ruin their business. And there's a real level of... I'm serious. This is... I mean, I am not making this up. It's like, truth is truly stranger than Fiction in this way, and I think that if there was more dialogue between um, some of the trade groups, or you know, like there might be a, 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 a bit more uh, progress because there right, would no, be some breaking um, down some uh, of know, those. The American landlord has been
1: a sponsor in the past. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, so well, yeah. we, we certainly are having some of that dialogue. Right. Um, and you know, obviously look, we, if, if it's going to affect change, I think we would really love to, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do anything. Okay. Um,
3: cool. Well, let me try uh, to, in terms like, of trying to, to, let me to, try to make that change, happen you know? for you. <laughs> no, cause I do have connections with the industry and they do seem to, for whatever reason, listen to me. I don't know why. Um, maybe not so much now that I, I wrote this very rude, um, uh, piece for the Huffington Post about um, their antibiotic policies. But those are changing and I'm, I'm happy about that. But I want to move on because we're, we're rapidly approaching the sort of final third of this and I have so many more questions. Um, one of the... Um, when I was talking with uh, Chris Arnold, uh, we were having sort of a little discussion about the the scale panel that i 'm moderating at the thing and and uh, Chris Arnold was on the call with us, and he made this really interesting suggestion, which I thought was um, fascinating and and also surprising. He said that there are no across the board standards. That chefs can endorse that will send a clear message about production methods to the various industries. And do you guys see that as a potential goal for this conference, for you know future uh, you know discussions? And ultimately, you set this this set up this kind of level of standards about animals, say animal livestock production in terms of animal welfare, what kind of drugs they get, what kind of feed they get, you know that kind of stuff. Do you see that standardization of demands as a possibility, even?
1: Um, I guess I would say that, uh, you know, I would take a, a very non-committal answer here and say yes and no. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yes, that would be great. Right. Um, on the other hand, no. Th- you know, there are so many different little things that go into a purchasing decision uh-huh. and, and, and a, or an, or a, uh, an animal husbandry decision, that it's, it's very often far too nuanced to just come out with a black and white answer for a very gray issue. Interesting. Um, so, like, so what that, would you... Know, you it what depends would you... on how deep you want to go down the rabbit hole, but, you know, even <laughs> a... Let's take a never-had-it-never-will yeah. um, uh, antibi- uh, You know. Uh, meat program. Right. Right. So the question then becomes, well, what do you do with an animal that you do have to treat? Right, right. You take you so you take it out of the program and you dump it on the commodity market, and then you know That's some what happens people right now. To it, Yeah, right. Um, I, I'm I'm not a real big fan of that. I and then yeah. perhaps you know, um, similarly, you know, because uh, a rancher is going to get more money for their never had it, never will. They may be um, subconsciously less willing to administer antibiotics to a sick animal. Mm-hmm. Um, which becomes a you know humane issue. That becomes a humane issue. issue. Mm-hmm. I
0: understand. Um,
1: and you know, I it, again, you know, uh, similarly, you know, if you come across the you know the the versus grain finish thing, you know, you run into a lot of uh, sort of geographical issues, you know, of uh, and different health issues. And there's there's as much as I would love to say, yeah, here we've got this great black and white answer. Um, I think the best, in many ways, that we can do, and this is what the collaborative has preached for a long time, is um, to make people aware of uh, of a lot of these different issues and to help them um, make the decisions that are, are most right for them mm-hmm. uh, most of the time. Mm-hmm.
3: I think, yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I, I also think it's possible to have um, standards that are not as... Um draconian as what you suggest, like the never ever. I, you know, to me, that's just frankly unrealistic. I don't think that you can produce beef on the scale that we produce it, for example, and say that you are never going to treat a sick animal with antibiotics. And I don't think it, anyone, um, you know, even if you are the most earthy, crunchy person on the earth uh, is going to say, oh no, it's better to let the animal just be sick and potentially die. Like,
1: nobody's right. going to say that. I mean, you people really drill into this stuff. The questions are, and, and you know, getting, getting some uh, standardization of mm-hmm. agreement across uh, a lot of different platforms for, you know, well, okay, how much time is it time for the antibiotic to get out of the system? Mm-hmm. Um, then you're no longer able to advertise never had it, never will, um, you know, in terms of distinguishing yourself from right. another. Um, but if we had a better beef supply overall, you wouldn't you're, you're, need to,
3: right? I'm sorry? If you had a better beef supply overall, that would no longer be... Uh, Right, away. I mean, uh, okay, yes, it would take away that marketing strategy, but at the same time, it would be float everybody's boat a little bit better.
1: Right, but by the same token, it's that marketing strategy which has pushed us to this point of, you know, now that we're now we're having this conversation about antibiotics. Right, 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 Right? absolutely. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it makes for some difficult decision making sometimes. Yes, it really Um, does. But that being said, you know, look, all of these conversations are. Are important and they're moving us in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And yes. so, even if the 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 answers are not easy, um, the fact of the matter is that we're making such great progress because these these topics are uh, are coming up now every day, and people are thinking a lot more about them and coming yes. up with new creative ways to solve them. And you know the the the, the big the big takeaway is you know the the more that we continue to have these conversations the more impact we're going to have
3: yes absolutely no i mean i think uh you know there is no greater um no greater bellwether than the than the community of chefs who have done probably more than anyone else uh you know the 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 yeoman's work of pushing this uh, you know, better food idea across the board, <laughs> you know, where it's not thing, just the purview of the wealthy. One thing we're finding now is
2: just that we're hearing more and more that policymakers want to hear from chefs. It's not just industries. Yes. It's it's policymakers and decision makers. They're really saying that, like, somebody called initially called it to me a non-traditional voice on an issue when it was mm. about Bristol Bay um, and Pebble Mine up in Alaska. But it's not becoming a non-traditional It's becoming a really important voice. Yeah. And Chef Sam Cass at the White House said that hearing from chefs helps him do his job when he's making decisions decisions about things that affect the food industry. So they really right. have a unique ability to be heard and leverage their collective voice because chefs are on the front lines of these issues every single day.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And so that's something
2: we're really passionate about is mm-hmm. elevating the chef voice and helping people take action on these core issues.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, I read an interesting study uh, just recently that came out from McKinsey, which is, you know, that sort of industry policy analyst analysis group. I mean, they're I can't describe them very well, but um, they came out with a study just a couple of days ago that I happened to notice um, that basically sustainability, just in the last two years, just the idea of sustainability across the board of industry has become much more important. Now, granted, um, you know, 70% 70% of these respondents said the most important part of their sustainability effort was communicating their efforts to the public. In other words, like they make one tiny step and then they spend millions of dollars in marketing money to, you know, tell the world that they're being so great. But I mean, it is definitely much more on the consciousness. And I have to think that that has a lot to do with, with chefs and with the food industry uh, in general, driving that whole sort of consciousness about what the environment um, is needs to protect itself from, you know, sort of Rapacious uh, uh, environmental practices that have uh, preceded the the last ten years or so, um, and which I hope will be slowing down soon. Um, we have only a few more minutes. I have a couple of more questions. Do you? What are your goals for the coming decade in terms of specific and measurable actions that you um, feel the chefs collaborative can be taking to sort of improve, further improve the food system? Well that's you guys have a plan? Question. Yeah, that's
2: a big one. <laughs> That's a big question. That's a big question. I can I can jump in first, Michael. Cool. I mean, I think we know that to achieve change and track our progress and the effectiveness of our programs that a set of measurable goals surrounding the actions that we're taking, that our network is taking, is really vital. And, yeah. you know, we just celebrated our 20th anniversary last year. Mm. As we move through 2013 and 2014, we've embarked upon an exciting strategic plan for the years ahead to explore just this. Great. And, you know, with our oncoming new leadership, which I know you started to ask about, yeah. we'll be sharing a lot more on this front, but we're we're totally, you know, immersed in that process right now and are excited to be moving forward with that
3: so you guys so you have a new leader you have Sarah Brito am I saying that right Sarah mm-hmm. Brito yep um, and so she obviously is coming in with a whole fresh agenda of what she wants to see uh, happen in the next few years. can you share has she decided on any of that or you guys are still thrashing that out is that well, we can, essentially what you your know, message Sarah's is
2: Sarah's been involved with us for, for quite some time she's mm-hmm. joining us yeah. after consulting with us over the past right. year and a half and volunteering on our board for the past few years uh, Michael, I don't know if you want to jump in there, but she, she has a really deep history working with mission-driven CEOs, entrepreneurs, creative agencies. You know, we're really thrilled to have her on board. Mm-hmm. Before she was with us, she was the chief branding officer and director of community for the Kitchen family of restaurants and right. nonprofit. So she's collaborated really closely with Kimball Musk and uh, Hugo Matheson. And, you know, she she's based in Boulder, Colorado, but I can also tell you that before that she lived in your near and dear Brooklyn. She um, did. And, That's right. She told yeah, me that. And was involved with Slow Food and was one of the brainchilds behind their snail approval status that you see everywhere now. Right, right. Um, you know, Sarah's really jumping in, and she's, she's helping us with this. I mean, she's leading the summit and then leading the charge with everything ahead. So, you know, we, we really know that she's going to have some great ideas uh, working with our board and staff to implement in the years ahead.
3: Yeah, it's very exciting. I mean, I think, you know, you guys have a uh... Such an opportunity at this point. I mean, I think your organization has, um, you know, its visibility is rising by the day, and uh, I think that more people are aware of it. And I, you know, I'm hoping that it, um, that it, it, that you're able to use all of the information that you gather at these summits and then somehow push that out to the public in a way that um, lets them know that all of these chefs are basically working on the behalf of the population, uh, not just right. for their own bottom line. You know, it's like yeah, there's a lot going on there. So um, let's close here, but let's let's talk about any issues you guys. Want to bring up anything you want to add to this conversation? Um, we have about three or four more minutes to go, and um, you know, let's pr- let's promote, promote, promote. What, where can people learn more? How can they get involved? Uh, what's going to go on in, after the summit? Tell me everything.
2: Okay. Well, the, the main thing I really want to uh, pass along to everyone is that. Uh, for chefs and food professionals that are listening, you definitely want to invite everyone to come to the summit. We're really going to be tackling those mountains to move in our food system, antibiotics misuse in meat production, sustainable seafood. We'll be talking a lot about GMOs. Uh, so a lot of really timely stuff going on there. Right. And all of the summit details are online. It's chefscollaborative.org. You'll see all of the summit details, the speakers, the schedule. It's all there. We're so excited. And we just we really hope to have as many people from across the country join us as possible. Yeah. Um, so that's something I really want to make sure everybody knows and if they can't
3: if they can't come to the summit that a lot of this information will be on your website afterwards right
2: yeah absolutely and really Mm -hmm. would encourage people to subscribe to our email and to Mm -hmm. follow us on facebook it's facebook.com slash chefs collaborative we have a pretty robust conversation there we'll share anything from news stories but really all the programming we'll have videos we'll have photos. will have all of the information that Great. we're covering will be on social media. And the hashtag for folks that want to follow it on Instagram and Twitter is ChefSummit14, all one word. Uh, so we'll be having folks be posting what they're doing, what they're learning, the tangible changes they'll be implementing in their businesses. So you can really get a sense of some of the change and the energy flowing from the summit. Yeah. Um, so That's ChefSummit14. That's great. Thank you.
3: Yeah. All right, you guys. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really grateful to you for this uh, opportunity to chat with you about the organization. I think you all do really terrific work. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing you both uh, September 28th. And thanks for including Thank me you. in the summit. I oh, really fabulous. Appreciate it. Thank
1: you so much. And we look
3: forward Thank you. to yeah, seeing thanks you. Thanks for joining Florida. us. Thank you. Okay, take care. So we'll see you next week, folks. Thanks for tuning in. And thanks to White Oak Pastures for their sponsorship. As always, a great organization. Definitely check out their website. And uh, I'll see you next week. We'll be talking college dining with the head of UMass uh, Food Service. He serves 45,000 meals a day. So we're talking power. Thanks for listening.